Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, this is the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. My name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Gringo Mandingo. And uh, on today's podcast, I got the great Sam Cassell, NBA champion, Houston Rockets. I mean, iconic legend, NBA, so well-respected. Probably won't make it to the Hall of Fame, but he has, like, Hall of Fame respect. Amongst his peers and amongst his uh, protégés, he's now a coach, assistant coach under Doc Rivers for the LA Clippers. Um, and I've been looking forward to talking to this dude for a long time. Uh, I'm gonna be honest; I didn't know much about Sam Cassell until he lit my New York Knicks up in the '93, '94 Houston Rockets versus the New York Knicks NBA Finals. It was painful to watch. That was the series where um, the O.J. Simpson uh, chase, the white Bronco chase, was taking place while the game was going on, I believe, in the garden. Talked to Sam about that. Talked to him about the all-time trash talkers. Talked to him about the greatness of Akeem Olajuwon. Talked to him about uh, mentoring uh, John Wall. He mentors... Uh, Austin Rivers, who was also on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, gave it gave a dope interview. Um, and, and, and he talks about growing up in Baltimore. It just This is an NBA extravaganza, um, five-course meal. We could have went on for hours. I, I, I literally could have went on for hours talking to him. Um, so Sam Cassell is coming up on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Me Undies and the LA Clippers. I want to talk to you about me undies. I am wearing me undies now. I'm in New York City right now. 
Okay, it's springtime. This is swamp-ass season. This is when you need to have your underwear game correct, your underwear game situated. I just came out from the streets of New York, and you know I'm real serious about swamp-ass. My undies are changing my whole life. I'm comfortable. I'm cool. I look good. I feel good. They're so soft, so comfortable. You need to elevate your underwear game to the next level also with MeUndies. Okay? You could save money and time each month with a monthly subscription. They're made in L.A. from sustainable, sourced, micromodal. That's a fabric that's three times softer than cotton. All right? MeUndies is softer than cotton. All right? I'm actually podcasting right now in some MeUndies lounge pants, which I gifted to the entire L.A. Clippers roster. All right. I gave the entire L.A. Clippers roster MeUndies, and they made them extra long to fit the tallest of the tall NBA players. All right. The last time I saw DeAndre Jordan, as God is my witness, he said to me, yo, Mike, thanks for the MeUndies. Okay. That's a fact. He said, yo, Mike, thanks for the MeUndies. You can save time and money each month with a monthly subscription to MeUndies. If you're not ready for a subscription, that's okay. You can still save, and it's worth it because MeUndies is offering you 20% off your first pair. Just use the special URL, MeUndies.com slash Clippers, and get 20% off your first pair. Go ahead, revamp your underwear drawer. You deserve it. Again, that's MeUndies.com slash Clippers. MeUndies.com slash Clippers for 20% off your order. I'm wearing my MeUndies lounge pants right now. They're fantastic. They're soft. They're comfortable. And they're not like, uh, you know, at my calf, okay? They're made long to fit the tall, to fit the short, to fit the very tall. Um, on the next episode of the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, me and G. Moody will be rocking live here in New York City together. We'll probably be in the streets of New York. As you know, the tour is taking place. We're going to be in San Francisco at the chapel, May 9th, and then in Seattle, May 11th, and then we're going to Canada, okay? May 13th, Vancouver. I cannot wait. All tickets are available at www.iamrappaporttour.com. That's www.iamrappaporttour.com. Every time I say www now, I keep saying to myself, why the fuck? Do you keep saying www because I know I could just say ironrapportour.com. I'm like stuck in like the 90s. Um, so before we get to this Sam Cassell interview, which is, oh man, you, like it's like steak and lobster, uh, whatever you're into. Maybe you're vegetarian. Um, it's like the best mushroom you've ever eaten. Uh, it's like a fantastic uh, chocolate chip cookie, a great sushi dinner. This interview with Sam Cassell is dope. Trust me. One of the great shit talkers to ever play the game. And he wasn't a shit talker like me. He could actually back it up. Um, The playoffs are underway. The non-consequential regular season MVP votes are in. And as I said before, it's a joke. Who cares? Russell Westbrook will be the regular season MVP. His team will be eliminated. Unfortunately, this is not a shot at you, Russell Westbrook. You killed it. He will be the regular season MVP. And if I was him, I wouldn't show up June 26, two and a half months after the fact to collect, to collect my regular season MVP. Okay? 
I'd be in Bermuda or some unknown island, St. Croix, or I don't know where the hell you go if you're Russell Westbrook in the offseason after you average a triple-double. But he deserves to go wherever he wants. Con, south of France, Spain. The last place I'd want to be is coming back to collect my regular season MVP after being eliminated in the first round. Unfortunately, that is what is going to happen to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I'm rooting for them. But that's just the way it's going to go down. <clears throat> Poor Isaiah Thomas. For the Boston Celtics, um, really feel bad for this kid. Um, obviously, he's a great player. MB, MVP, regular season MVP contender. As well, uh, his sister uh, passed away in a car crash two days before his opening game in the NBA playoffs. And, uh, you know, so that was a that was a terrible thing that he dealt with. I, I got to say, the, the coverage of it made me, uh, I felt like it was exploitive. Every single channel, every single Instagram page. Why are you showing him breaking down, him crying? You want to show that on your page to get people to, to like it? Once you've seen it once, do you really need to keep showing it over and over and over and over again? How many times do you want to show this guy's private moment of him crying? And why are you retweeting that and keep posting it? Let him, let him have his privacy. He's already in the middle of the world's uh, eyesight. The NBA uh, playoffs are going on. His team is, is an NBA contender. And then he has this tragedy, and everybody wants to keep posting this thing of him breaking down when he first hears about his sister passing away. I thought it was ridiculous and over the top. I, I don't get it. <clears throat> I really wish um, him and his family um, the best, um, and, and hopefully uh, – he could focus on basketball uh, when he's on the court as a little safe, a little safe haven because I'm sure whatever uh, he's going through and his family's going through is unthinkable and unimaginable. I believe his sister was 22 years old, um, but I think the coverage is a little bit over top and, in my opinion, exploitive. Uh, what else is going on? Phil Jackson, yo, I got a message for you, man. Phil, I've said this once. I've said this twice. I've said this three times. I fuck with you, Phil. Obviously, like everybody else, I'm a fan Greatest coach of all time. But what you did last week was disgusting, despicable, and totally unprofessional. At the uh, season-ending press conference for the Knicks, Phil Jackson, who hasn't spoken to the press, and I think the last time he spoke to the press was the opening season press conference and nothing in between. I really think that uh, when the Oakley situation happened, James Dolan should have forced him to go out and talk to the press, talk to the fans, talk to me, talk to my neighbor with their barking fucking dog. I got a neighbor in New York City with a dog. It's like one of these 15-pound dogs, if that fucking thing doesn't shut up, attacks everybody on the elevator. Um, but we all want to hear from you, Phil. Dolan, you should have fired him right there on the spot. Go talk to the fans about Oakley. Calm people down. No, you're fired, asshole. You're fired. And then at the closing press conference for the season, Phil Jackson is going to throw Carmelo Anthony under the bus and say he'd be better off playing somewhere else. Whether or not this is true, whether or not Carmelo hasn't lived up to your expectations, the fans' expectations, that shit was so unprofessional, so uncalled for, so disrespectful. To air him out. Terrible. I, no one can stand by it, Phil. You don't make yourself look better by shitting on other people. Trust me, I know. I shit on other people all the time. 
I know it doesn't make me look better. I might kick the truth. You might have been kicking the truth impartial. But if you want to trade Carmelo, bring him into your office, man to man, and talk to him about it. Trying to, like, shame him out of New York. If I'm Carmelo Anthony, I tell Phil, I tell Phil Jackson, fuck you. You, motherfucker, signed the contract that gave me a no-trade clause. I ain't going anywhere. You got a problem with me? You get the fuck out of town. Again, I love Carmelo. I love Phil. I think uh, Carmelo is not the answer to the Knicks winning, but I would never shit on him like that if I was Phil Jackson. The reason why the Knicks aren't winning is because we don't have the the personnel. The reason why they don't... uh, The reason why the Knicks don't respect... Jeff Hornacek and did not respect uh, Derek Fisher is because they are puppets for Phil Jackson. They're running an offense that Phil Jackson is the only person alive besides Tex Winter who can articulate it. They're they're literally puppets. So, of course, these players are not going to respect the coaches. If I'm James Dolan, I get rid of Phil Jackson and I revamp again. I get rid of Phil Jackson over the summer. I get rid of Hornacek over the summer, and I revamp again. It's not going to happen. Porzingis even said, fuck that. You know, at the end of the season, all the players have a closeout meeting where they go meet, they talk to the coach. Porzingis said, fuck that. Going back to Lativia. I'm done. I don't need this shit. Now, if you leave New York City in the spring... To go out, to just to leave, to go to Lativia, you know you want to get the fuck out of here. He left, he left the country, okay? Because I've never been to Lativia. I don't know much about Lativia, but I guarantee you uh, it's not the most inviting place in the world. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally speaking out of my ass. There could be great islands and beautiful buildings and cities out there. I could be totally wrong, but I'd be willing to make a hefty bet that I'm right. Um, but even Porzingis, who's now 21, was like, fuck this. He figured it out. This is a joke. This is dysfunction at the highest professional level from the top of Madison Square Garden to the bottom of the bowels of Madison Square Garden. The Knicks organization is dysfunctional. This is the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. We'll listen to a little funk and we'll come back, me and the great Sam Cassell. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. I'm excited about this one because I like to talk shit. And I love having people that may like to talk shit even more than me. And this is one of the world's best <laughs> renowned NBA shit talkers and players. Could, see, I talk a lot of shit, Sam, uh-huh. but I couldn't back it up when it came to the court. Yeah. So I just kept talking shit to uh-huh. like confuse you. But I'm here with Sam Cassell, NBA champion. I mean, shit, you talk about like respect. Mm-hmm. Sam Cassell has it all. Assistant coach of the L.A. Clippers. Yeah. How you feeling, Sam? Wonderful. Wonderful, man. It's a, I'm blessed. I'm happy to be here. Um, getting ready for this playoff run tonight. Um, soon, this weekend. You know, just looking forward to it. I'll try to turn this thing around for us and try to win an NBA championship, bring a championship to the Clippers. 
right, I'm, I'm going to stay on the Clippers before I get into you because because your career to me is is so iconic and so unique and so long and you and it spans so much time. And now that you're mm-hmm. still coaching, you saw such a crazy change in evolution, good, mm-hmm. bad, and indifferent mm-hmm. in the league. But let's just go to the Clippers. Mm-hmm. You are known to be ice cold, relaxed mm-hmm. from the beginning when you're with Houston. Now that you're a coach and you see these guys, you got vets, you got some young dudes. How, what's your disposition as a coach? Like, do you still get excited? Like, do you still get nervous? I mean, you never seem to be nervous as a player. With this this team right here, you guys have had some highs for this season. You mm-hmm. had lows. I feel like you're playing your best ball now. Mm-hmm. Where are you at as an assistant coach in the, in the Clippers? How do you approach it? Well, I feel right now my approach is, is, is very positive with our ball club. Like you said, um, we're in a great place right now. Our spirit of our team is great. Um, I think from day one, our team wanted to go from November to April. Unfortunately, we had you no know, December and January and February and March that games had to be played. But now we, where we want to be at, um, it's playoff time now. It's our last regular season home game. And we just gearing up for the playoffs. This team is built for the playoffs, and the playoffs is coming. We healthy, you know. That's been our whole thing. You know, our health is the most important thing to us right now. And every team in the NBA has injuries, and injuries is a part of this game right now. So we at a point in our, you know, our season right now where you know Blake is healthy, CP is ready, right. you know, DJ is ready. You know, we have all of them have little little minor injuries that you get from a 82 game season, but. We're in a great mindset right now. And when this team is in a great mindset, the sky's the limit. Do you like the fact that you guys, it's weird because it's the L.A. Clippers and there's, there's, there's stars all over this team. You know, it's Los Angeles that you guys are sort of strangely under the radar. Do you, do you, do you, do you dig that's, that? That's cool because I was mentioning the doc earlier today. This team reminds me of my second championship I won in Houston. Uh, we was the sixth seed and no one you know, even talked about us during a playoff run. We just kept winning and just kept winning and just kept winning until we got to the finals and we played a hot Orlando Magic ball club when, when no, no one gave us the credibility that they're not going to beat Orlando. They beat San Antonio. They beat Phoenix. They beat uh, Utah. We beat three win teams that year in the playoffs to get to the NBA finals, and no one thought that we had a chance to beat the Orlando Magic with Shaq and Penny and Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott. They had a just me thinking about it right now. They had a, a crew, but we just played the game and gave ourselves the best opportunities to win, and we swept them guys in four. No, yeah, yo, you swept, you swept, swept them. them I mean, that was like four. a learning curve for Shaq, and, and I mean, that was like a lesson, Akeem. I mean, you guys swept that team, and I, and I had that same feeling about our team now that I'm, I'm just, just maybe, just me. I might, I might be the only one feel that way, but. I've been around this game a long, long time. I just have that same feel about our team right now. You know, our mind frame is great, you know. We healthy. Guys understand what we've been through the course of 82 games, you know. We lost our top two guys for like 30 games, 30 games during the season. And still where we are right now is, you know, it's boggling that, you know, you take any team around this league, you lose their top two players. How would their season be? Right. You know, you take – Kevin Durant and Steph Curry from Golden State Warriors for 30 games. How would their team be? You take Damian Lillard and T.J. McCollum from Portland. How would their team be? You take Russell Westbrook and whoever else off Oklahoma City. You take James Harden and whoever else from Rocks. How would they be for 30 right. games? So I think we, we're fine. I think our mindset is um, 
it's good, but we just got to play the games. When you, when I think back to those Houston Rocket teams, obviously the first thing I think of is mm-hmm. the dream shake. I don't doubt about it. <laughs> you know, I think about you, who I was like, honestly, I was like, because I was versus my Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> and I hold that resentment against you, Sam. Like, I'm looking you yeah, in the I, face right now. I always have, since I met you. You always have. Like. I'm going to have that resentment. That's never going away. <laughs> never going away. Like, I love you. I respect you, mm-hmm. but I have that personal resentment. Like that, that you know, I'm never, never. That's never going away. And things have been things. I mean, we had our run in the '90s, mm-hmm. but but things haven't gone the Knicks way. But I'm gonna stay focused on you. That team. Who was the leader of that team? What what was the what was the what was the culture of that team? Our culture were. Akeem Olajuwon was our leader, but he led by example. He was a man. A short words, and when he did speak up, you knew it was real serious. So he led by example. He led by he led by his play. He led by just his motivation to us. Like, come on, guys, I need y'all to help us win this. I'm gonna do what I have to do, but y'all gotta do y'all part. Help us win this. It was never I and him. It was always about us individual as a team. It's about the coaching staff, and you know, we gotta get this thing done together. Who was the voice of that team? If, if Akeem was the quiet leader, who was the let's go? Who was the voice? Who was the, the pulse? We, the we had a few. Uh, we had Vernon Maxwell. We had Mario Ellie. We had Kenny Smith. You know, them guys was the guy. I was so young that I was just. How old were you? I was 22 years old. Okay. I was rookie year, so I was just so happy to just get on the court. You know, you understand? My first season in the NBA, I didn't play my first like 25 to 30 games because, you know, we was pretty, we went like 17 and 0. It was 22 Man. and 1. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't get minutes at all. Scotty Brooks was the backup behind wow. Kenny Smith, you know, so I was the third guard, you know, and I just wanted the opportunity. So when I got my opportunity to play, you know, sitting on the bench wasn't too cool for me. So I just gave um, our coaching staff a lot to think about. When I played, when I got opportunity to play, I just gave Rudy T, you know, something to think about. You know, Scotty Brooks was, was, was damn good, man. Scotty Brooks was a beast. People don't realize how, People forget. how tough Scotty Brooks was for him to be five foot ten. You know, we we resembled each other. He was slow. We, he couldn't jump. You know, he was quick. Quick. You know, but he was tough, man. He was he was a tough little guy that I learned a lot from, man. He's just like you know, you can't take nothing off nobody, Sam. You know, he was a white guy, small, but he was tough. And anybody put against him would tell you, like, he wasn't gonna back down. He's gonna pick you up ninety four feet. He's going pick you up for a court. He took you everything that you didn't want to be, that you didn't want to deal with. That was Scotty Brooks. Now, I don't even need to ask you about the Jet because he's my man and we mm. see him all the time. <laughs> and I was going to wait to, but you brought him up first. Vernon Maxwell. This is a dude who's like, he had, he was on that list. Yeah. He was on that. I mean, when, when he when he came at Jordan, I was like, this guy is nuts. Because yeah. like he was ready to get it on right there. Yeah. What was what? What is your memory of Vernon? Like, what was his real? Like, was Vernon Maxwell nuts? Was he tough? Was it contrived? Did he flip off? Like, was it a switch on and all? Like, what was Vernon Maxwell's deal? He was he, he was very unpredictable. He he was a guy um, that any small thing will set him off. And when he played against the top two guards in our league, he looked forward to it. He knew like 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 you said, Michael Jordan. Mitch Richmond, Reggie Miller, Clyde Drexler, them guys, he got enough to play. Like, he respected them guys, but he felt deep in his heart that he was better than Michael Jordan. We used to always tell him, man, you crazy. He's like, no, I'm telling you, man, what can he do better than me, man? I was like, well, he can jump higher than you. Well, he can 
shoot better than you. He got a better post game than you. And he, he wouldn't believe it. But he, his competitive nature was like a Michael Jordan's. He competed. I think that's why Michael Jordan respected him so much because he knew when he played against Vernon Maxwell that he was going to compete against him. You know, Vernon wanted to fight him half the time, but, you know, that might be the only edge he had on Michael Jordan. You know, right. they, you know Jordan wanted to go play ball, and Vernon some nights wanted to be a fighter. Right. But Vernon could fight. Right. You know, so he could fight. Right. You know, back then, you know, fighting was a part of the NBA. You know, you know guys generally had dislike for each other. You know, it's so different from today's game, you know, but it's been 25 years later. Back then, guys really didn't like each other personally. Didn't know each other, but didn't like each other because you had a different color uniform on. And, and sorry, so speaking of that, you see these kids today. I mean, th- how old do you now, Sam? 47. 47. I'm 47 too, man. You're old. You're old now, <laughs> man. <laughs> when you see these kids now, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the AAU of vacation. Yeah. You know, they've known each other since they're 12, 13, 14, 15. You guys, I mean, you might have known some dudes, but a lot of these guys back then, they met on the court. Yeah. So, like, where Vernon's like, yo, I don't know this dude. Yeah. You know, we didn't grow up together. I didn't sleep over at his house when we went to Vegas for some tournament. Do you think that that is affecting the league? I call it the skinny genification of the NBA. <laughs> but do you think that's the, affecting the league? Do you think it, it, it hurts it, that competitive Like when you see dudes hand, hand clapping, doing playing patty cake before the game, they're not on the same team. Are you like, or you just have to get used to me like, yo, it's a different it's, time. It's a different time right now. I couldn't, no, I couldn't get used to that. But as, as a player, but now I'm coaching, you know, you got to adjust to it. That's what it is. These guys – spend a lot of time, you know, with each other during the off season and during, you know, night before the game, you know, that's what they do now. So, hey, you know, it's not for me to judge that, but I don't think, me, me personally, how can you have a competitive edge against a guy that you got to go against the next night and you having dinner with them? Right. Never understood that, like, I had some great friends in the NBA that I played against, like like a Nick Manexel, who's, you know, we played against each other since junior college basketball, you know, but it was never the night before the game, we hanging out, you right. know, because I knew that he wanted to kick my ass just as much as I wanted to kick his ass so we can have bragging rights during the summertime. You no, know, when we sitting around, you know, having dinner, you know, we talking about your boy, I, I, I killed you in Denver. I killed you in LA. You know, so that's was our own bragging rights. Damn style of my guys like that. We all lived in Houston during the off season, so it was like, man, you you got up to play them guys. But the night before the game, no, I didn't want to see him. He didn't want to see me. You right. Know? He might call me, say I'm in town, give me a nice spot to go to dinner at. You know, what right. I'm saying? I might shoot him a text then, but he knew after the game, are we fine? Right. Especially if I won. Right. Because, <laughs> because so, so you, you, the, the, like you, you talked. Yeah. Like you were a talker. Yeah. You talk trash. You never seemed like it was like personal in no, terms I never of. Talk. I never, it was more basketball, basketball oriented. Basketball wise, you know, I just talk. I just talk. I never got personal. Like it was all basketball. All basketball. I remember Gary Payton and myself got together and um, we played on the same team in Milwaukee. Um, oh my God! It was tough. It, we 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 gave people the blues. We just <laughs> we just we talked so much trash to guys, man. It, it it was crazy, but it was never personal. But it was just basketball thing. Like, what you got? What you got? Bring me your best, you know. And half the time, um, people tried. Give us their best, but you know we fought too. Who are the lesser known trash talkers in the NBA? Like obviously you, 
GP is is is, is Hall of Fame first ballot mm-hmm. uh, player and trash talker. Mm-hmm. Um, who are the lesser known? Like I was always surprised at to find out. Larry Bird was a big trash talker, like, mm-hmm. and and like later on they were like he he wouldn't stop. So who were the guys that you like? Yeah, he talked a lot, but he just you know no one no one no one really sort of noticed it. Cliff Robinson. Okay. Cliff had a way of just making a shot, man, just pissing you off. Sean Kemp. Right. Sean Kemp was a big trash talker. He talked a lot. You know? Sean Kemp was a big trash talker that wasn't personal, just on the court. Like you know, when you're good, you can talk. How, how good was Sean in his prime? I mean. He he had a run where he was the dude. He was awesome, man. Like he, he he literally couldn't be stopped. You know, when he came to play, and he came to play quite often, he was a tough check. You know, he can he was a guy six ten, can handle the ball, can shoot the fifteen foot jump shot, can finish with the best. And with Gary Payton on his team throwing him these these half court lobs, um, right. man, and he was a showman. He was definitely a showman, like like. And I enjoyed playing against him because he, he was a showman. Like he, he enjoyed the game. He was passionate about the game. You know, guys back then were so much passionate about the game. I just see guys, you know, get so pissed off at the loss, man, where you didn't want. They was friends with me, friends of mine that I didn't want to speak to after we beat them because they were so pissed off that we beat them. You know what I'm saying? So I gave him a couple of hours to cool off. Then I call him. Uh huh. You know. All right, Baltimore, D.C., that whole area. Mm-hmm. You're from B-more? Straight out of B-more. How do you wind up from Baltimore to junior college and then at Florida State? You're not a football player. What was the climate like <laughs> for basketball in Baltimore? You guys got a whole rock. Who, who, who are the, the best-known Baltimore, D.C., DMV, as y'all like to call it? Well, it's, it's so many of y'all, man, because it's, it's, it's so many of y'all. Like, you got the, the, the crop. It's from that area now. Like, you got Kevin Durant. Yeah, Michael Beasley. You got, there's so many guys. Mellow. Mellow, you know, can't forget him. He's from but your era. My era. You had guys like, wow, like Reggie Williams, the late Reggie Lewis, Muggsy Bogues. These are all the guys that came out of my high school. David Wingate, you know, myself. You had, um, from D.C., you had Walt Williams. Um, you had, it's so many. It's just so many guys. Dennis Scott. Right. It's, it's, it's so many. Listen, you got, hey, like, Adrian Dantley, you man, got, you know it's it's so, it's just so many of them. It's just it's just so many guys that you, you say he's from Virginia, like Allen Iverson. He's from Virginia, like we had the late Lenny Bias oh. from Maryland. So you know that it's a shame that people didn't get to see him play, man. Because me growing up in Baltimore, watching University of Maryland play, watching them play in the summer league, you know, you got like David Robinson, you know, at the Naval Academy, right? You know. You, got, you were seeing all these dudes? All, seeing all these guys in the summer league. Are you serious? Yeah. Did you saw, did you see Le- do you remember seeing Lenny play yeah. in the summer league? Yes. We, I Urban mean coalition. We had you said the best summer league, all summer leagues in in DC is called the Urban Coalition, where we had a saying up there, don't bring your name, bring your game. So you had so many like street guys from DC and Baltimore who had mad game. But you know, unfortunately, may have got arrested or whatever. But still had game, right? You know, one of the great players from DC, and they Bootney Green. Oh uh, man, he was awesome. I'm thinking with the Cheney State mm-hmm. and Division Two guy, but he was six three, six four. Like he can really, really, really hoop. You know, so you played against him. You had to bring your game like Sherman Douglas. You had Mark ah. Tillman. You had so many guys, man. You had so many guys that can 
actually played a game of basketball at a high level, man, that it was crazy. Sometimes in some league you might have, like, on one game you might have, like, 10 pros out there playing ball. So if you lived in Atlanta, you heard about the Urban Coalition, that you had to be a part of it. The summer league games were Saturday and Sunday. So it, it, was, a, it was phenomenal back then. What, what was uh, – I'm, I'm, I think that Muggsy Bogues, yeah. you know – he should be giving TED talks. He should be giving motivational <laughs> talks. If you're five foot three, yeah. to play as long as he did at the competitive level mm-hmm. in the NBA, mm-hmm. that's like freaky. Yeah, and it wasn't like no novelty. Muggsy no. was that. Like, what what was he like seeing him playing these in these pickup games, summer league, and all that stuff? It was, I mean, like, it was awesome because the way he played in the pros is the same way he played in summer league. That you couldn't throw the ball up the court against him because he was so he was he was so impactful defensively that you really couldn't do the things that you want. You couldn't, you know, show him up on the basketball court because he'll steal the ball from you and show you up, you know. He was a pro for a reason, man. He was the ACC defensive player of the year for a reason. He was the dominant player. He was second-team All-American as a senior at Wake Forest for a reason. Right. You know, he played 17 years in the NBA for a reason because he knew how to play the point guard position. He knew how to get his teammates involved. He knew how to be impactful at five foot three. You know, you look at the Charlotte teams he had when he had Grandmama, Larry Johnson, and Zoe, and Kendall Gill, and Johnny Newman, and Dale Curry. When he missed, the first person got the ball to his mugs. Right. To push the ball up the court to get these guys shots. And he was that dominant. He was that dominant at five foot three. Trust me, you know. Some of the great ball handlers, Isaiah Thomas, Gavin Johnson, they why even temp dribbling the ball up the court against him. Just give I remember I seen Isaiah play him. He just gave the ball to Joe Dumas. He didn't want it. He didn't like, why? It's too much of a it's hassle. Too, it's too much of a hassle. Now half court now Isaiah can do what he had to do, but Full court, they drew the ball up against Muggsy Bogues. You know, man, Doc always talk about it, how difficult it was just dribbling the ball up against him. You know, it was tough for everybody to bring the ball up against him. Everybody. So how did you wind up at junior college? Why didn't you wind up going to a big school? Like, what was your path to well, my, Florida State and inevitably I went the to, NBA? I went to a junior college. Uh, I went to San Jacinto. You know, I didn't academically qualify. I signed with DePaul come out of high school. And I think me going to – Junior College at San Jacinto um, Community College in uh, Pasadena, Texas was awesome for me. It gave me a chance to leave home, leave Baltimore. Um, gave me a chance to grow up to be a young man. Um, it helped me out a lot. So when I came home after my freshman year, I knew that I could play at a high level. I just got to get through this next year of uh, you know junior college basketball. I got through it. I became the you know, player of the year in junior college basketball as a sophomore. Went on to Florida State, um, known as a football school, like you said, football powerhouse. Right. You know, in the early in the early nineties. Um, and once I got to Florida State, I knew that we had a lot of a lot of talent. And you think about that team I had. We had four guys get drafted off that team. Who else was on round. the team? Bobby Sarah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We had a guy named Doug Edwards. Okay. Got drafted. I think twelfth by Atlanta Hawks. We had uh, like I said, Bobby Sarah. We had um. The All-American football player in Charlie Ward, who got uh-huh. drafted by the Knicks, you know. So we have four guys off of basketball, uh, football university that got drafted in two years. I was there, so the football was great. And I went. I chose Florida State because of the football team. I love Florida State football, so I said I could see a game every every Saturday. So that was cool. But once I got there on campus and seeing how. 
how Tallahassee was, and um, I enjoyed my two years there. Um, my jersey's retired, and the rafters there only two years, but um, I had a great time. Going to Florida State taught me how to become a man. Uh-huh. How to, taught me how to become a young man uh-huh. in this world. So I had, a, you know, all the people at Florida State that helped me to become that. You know, to this day, I thank y'all. <laughs> when did you know you were ready to play NBA basketball? I tell you what. During all the AU tournaments, I watched by I watched the game. It was Duke against Georgia Tech when Kenny Anderson came down and gave Bobby Hurley that move between the back behind the legs that to this day everybody talk about. And I played against both of these guys in high school, and I did well against both of these guys. Now I see these guys on national television, and Dick Vitale just pumping them up. You know, Dick Vitale going crazy. Oh, oh baby, he's a, did you see that? And I say, man, I can do that against these guys. I, I competed against these guys at a high level and did well against these guys. So once I saw that, you know, and I just knew that if I take care of this stuff academically, I just get the opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of it. Who, who were the other dudes that were coming up at that time? Kenny Anderson in New York. Sam was, it, 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 I mean, he was. He was God. A legend. He, he, and it was he, deserving. He, he, he was good. He, he was Chips, Chips was real good. Chips was real good. But during that time, I knew I could, you know. The thing I could do against all these guys, I can score mm. against all these guys. Uh-huh. Who were the other dudes from that time? Man, they had like, like Chris Jackson, you know, Latario Green. I was in Latario um, Green. They had a whole, it was a whole bunch of guys that came out then. That was that was like Greg Graham, Rex Walters. Right. So these guys was pretty good, you know, college ball players. You know, you had um, James Hollywood Robinson out mm. of Alabama. Uh, Nick Van Ness out of Cincinnati. Hell, a lot of these guys was 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 pretty good. And man, Nick used to always talk about it because we was junior college guys. We used to always talk about it, man. Once we get the opportunity to get on that national stage, man, you know you got to do well. And I just always tell him, you got to do well. So my first year at Florida State, we moved into the ACC conference. Florida right. State was in the Metro Conference, and. Me being from Baltimore, ACC country, so I was like, oh, this is ideal for me. This is where I have to go at. So I could play against the Duke, the North Carolina, the Maryland's, Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson, all these great Atlantic Coast Conference schools, man. And once I made that decision to go to Florida State um, and we moved into the ACC Conference, it was over. What, what, what was it like? You know, you talk about, you know, I, you, you hear about, and I've seen it for my whole life watching mm-hmm. basketball playing in Duke with them fans out there. Outrageous. Are they nuts? They're nuts. Is that the craziest place to play basketball you've ever played, college and, and pro? It's the craziest place because it's so small. Cameron is it, is it small? I've never even it's been the, in there. It's too small. It's like it's like a high school gym, a nice high school gym. And the fans, the student body is unbelievable. I mean, they have – that six-man is their – Student body because they 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 can the almost cam- touch you the right. Cameron crazies, what they call them the Cameron crazies. But it's all it's all all the fun. As a as a college uh, student athlete, man, it's all the fun, man. It, it was all fun. But they got into it. They really got into it. They plus they had a good team. They had Chris Leitner, who I think was one of the most outrageous, great college basketball players, man. That I've saw, right? You know, he was he was that good. He could shoot the three. He can post you up. He made 
every damn free throw. He got every big rebound, and and he was white, and he could, and he was tough. Right. You know what I'm saying? So so the the, the observation of there's no tough white guys. That's bull, you know, because Kristen Leitner is was one. This this whole thing, you, you know, you're talking about college and you know your career in college, and you named all these college players, and mm-hmm. Leitner probably being one of the best, most prolific college players. Now, so many of these dudes are in such a rush, and as they should, you know, it, it, it's a dream come true to come into the NBA. When you see these these one and done players come into the NBA, who are projects who are winging of prayers. They're good in college. They're, they're, they're malnourished. They need to be eating in-and-out burgers. Their, their games aren't ready to play in the NBA. And now you're a coach. Are you worried about that? Because like, when you, you, you see these kids coming in, like the kid Ingram, mm-hmm. good player. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be – you don't really know what he's going to be yeah. until three years. Mm-hmm. Do you think these kids should stay? Like what is your mentality on it now after being a player for so long and now a coach? And like, you know, you have a say in, oh, this kid's good from this school. This kid's that good mm-hmm. in that school. Like these one-and-done players, what is your opinion on it? I think it's, you can – you know, you got the right – you know, we live in America. You know what I'm saying? You got the right to do whatever you want to do, but – you know, it's more failure stories than more success stories. These guys coming out one and done, because when you come out one and done, it's the mental aspect of it. You gotta have some physical aspect of it. It's just but the mental part of it. And I remember John Wall, who's the number one pick, and I had him in Washington. I was just coaching Washington, and um, he was so good, just doing one thing, just running past everybody. And I, and I told him like in December, I let him do it the first month of the season. I say. Hey man, listen here. <laughs> you're gonna kill yourself. You know, you're playing 39 minutes a night. You can't be the fastest guy on the court for 39 minutes. He he didn't understand that his rookie year. What did you mean by that? I meant that slow down, pick and choose when you use this four-two-four speed you have. You know, pick and choose when you use it. And once he realized that. And the game slowed down for him after his second year. And we got him some better players to play with him. I told him, I said, hey, man, the sky's the limit for you. I said, I said the sky's the limit for once you. Now he's slowing down. Now he sees the game as a point guard, not as a road runner. He sees he pick and chooses when he uses his speed. And, you know, he's going to be an all-star until – so they get tired of being an all-star, you know. He's that good. He's that good. But at first, it was adjustment period. You know, you got to let a guy who was the player of the year in college basketball and came into with all these accolades, you got to let him test his own waters out first. You know, you got to let him see that what he was doing in college and he did all his life is not working. Right. It's not working. And that's what I did as a coach. I was, I'm a former player, and I just watched him. I said, okay, you can't just say, no, you got to do it this way his first day at camp. You got to do it this way. You got to let him see to do it his way. Then when his way is not working, then you will him in. Right. That's what I did for a whole year. Everybody kept saying, John Wall ain't better. What's Sam teaching him over there? What's Sam teaching him? You know, you, he was that good to get to be the number one pick. You don't be the number one pick by mistake. Right. You know, you don't be that by mistake. So when people kept saying, well, what's Sam doing to him? He, he ain't teaching nothing. Sam ain't teaching nothing. You know, like, because I let him – Take his own course. Right. That when he, it was time for him to say, man, all right, I'm ready. It was easy. It was so easy to teach him the game. It was so easy. It was so easy to teach him the game after that because he knew that what he was doing 
wasn't working. Right. He still got 17 points. He still was the rookie of the year. Right. You know, he did, he did that on his own. His own. Right. You know, but like I said, for you to be a primetime point guard and primetime all-star, which I knew he wanted to be, I said, you got to slow down. And we got to do it my way. And he gave himself to me. He gave himself to me. Like, okay, it's your way. He had his own personal shooting coach. And, you know, I understand that terminology, you know. You know, but well, what do you think about these guys? Like, you, you when you got you played ball, mm-hmm. you talk about Baltimore summer league. Y'all yeah. played ball. I mean, whatever you did on your own, you shoot and drew. I don't mm-hmm. know what. Like the the whole atmosphere, training of the NBA has changed since you've been a participant into now. And mm-hmm. guys have shooting coach. God bless them. They come in. They're getting um, acupuncture okay. and you know all this stuff, and it's all great. Like, do you think it's necessary? Do you think it's over the top? Or is it a little bit of both? Or guys getting too out of hand with like you know like the drills and the running through hoops and all this stuff? Like, and, and you guys just were playing ball. Like I hear Dominique said, he said, "Yo, we we worked out in the summer. We just played." I say, yeah, I think to be to get better, you can. I never had a personal trainer or a dribbling coach or a shooting coach. I like Dominique. I just played. I played against the best ball players that I could possibly find and play against, like the Damon Stoudemire, the Tim Hardaways. You know, I remember one, one year I went to Chicago to play in the Summer League in Chicago. So I heard the Summer League in Chicago is good, you know. And I went out there and played a couple games, you know. So you got Tim to, was out there? Yeah, you know, he's he he amazing. You know what I'm saying? Just to see Tim with no structure, just go and play, you know. What, what, what was he like playing, guarding him? I mean, he's a major oh, problem. Man, he was a problem. He was a problem. Like, he was a major major problem because the thing the guy could do, he could shoot from deep and he set you up. He can make layups and he was tough. He was six foot tall. He was tough. He and was, low, right? He was the bowling ball. He was the bowling ball that you had to really like go back at him to gain his respect. You know what I'm saying? If you just come down and pass the ball and go through to the corner way and he's attacking you. Back then you just couldn't wait because even guys was attacking you. You know, you can hand check. You can game was more physical back then what it is today, you know. It wasn't such thing of a flagrant a flagrant foul. A flagrant foul caused for for an ambulance driver to come bring the ambulance on the court and blood had to be splattered all over the place before they get your flagrant foul. So do you, do you like talk about forget forget even the, the flagrant stuff because you know I'm a I'm a Knicks fan and on mm-hmm. my 90s Knicks defined flagrant fouls. Oh, man. But but in terms of the hand checking how much of a, 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 an advantage was that to a defensive player? And how much of it being taken away does it allow guys to flourish? And, you know, like last year, and I love Steph. I fucking love Steph. Mm-hmm. But last year after he won unanimous on MVP, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I, he had the injury, and then he wasn't as Steph Curryish into the playoffs. People are saying, oh, he wouldn't have done this back then, and they're comparing. What is your take on that? First of all, so it's a two-part question. The actual hand check, the defensive rules that have been taken away mm-hmm. or the offensive rules that have been given, mm-hmm. and, and like this sort of softening in this generation, well, he wouldn't have been able to do this, he wouldn't have been able to do that. So, so break that down, you know, what you think about that. I think Steph had been a, a good player back then. Um, getting 35 or 40 points, I, I, I don't think so because – it, it was a hassle just to bring the ball up the court, man. It was because a, of the what? The hand check. It was a hassle. Like you had to really be tough to get that ball up the court because guys used to put their hands on you. And you know, in, in the playoffs, you know, 
you you really need a referee because they weren't calling they weren't calling the damn thing you know so it was just model to model you know it was just like it was a battle every night but I think Steph is like like guys like like Steph and you know Russell Russell's been great during our because he Russell just nonstop he's in attack mode right right you know that's gonna translate Steph, to any era Steph would have been good because Steph got a great skill that he can shoot the basketball right off the dribble you know. He he'd have been cool. Um, you know, Chris would have been good in our league back then, but you know, they're getting the twenty points and twenty assists. You know, cause it, it, it was tough. You know, it was more of an inside-outside game, and it was more a physical game. You know, and, it, and would you say it really actually was more physical? You could get away with more. You could do more. You could be more aggressive with the hand checking and the pushing and the forearms and the, and the you know all that when, stuff. That's when, real, when, right? When you, when you had guards attack the rim. As these guys today's games tacked around, uh-huh. there have been guys on that on that butt. A lot of guys on that butt. There's been a lot of busted noses because you know we had a, a chuck rule where you could where you went through the lane and there'd be four or five guys touching you with a forearm hitting you. You know, so that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of drastic right there. Just being a part of that aspect of the game. Um, Michael Cage um, uh, hit me so hard shit. one time, and, and, and I, was, I was saying stars and birds and anything else. And Vernon did, Maxwell, did any Jerry Curl juice drip uh, on you? Everything. And Vernon Maxwell, I was stunned, and I'm on the floor, and Vernon Maxwell grabbed me and said, do not let them know they hurt you. And I had two free throws. I got up to the free throw line, and my head spinning, and no way I'm making this first free throw. No way I'm making this first free throw. I went up there, and I was a real good free throw shooter. I went up there, and I looked at the rim, and the rim, like, it was shaking. Uh-huh. It was shaking. I got hit that hard. Michael Cage was a goon. Oh, uh, he was a goon. He was a goon. And it was no, it was no hopping me up. It was none of that. It was looked over top of me, like, oh, he's done for the day. Like some clubber lane yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, he's done for the day. Like, it was that, you know. Think about it. Back in the day, your 15th man was most likely going to be one of your enforcers. Mm. He was the guy who came in the game and to do some punishment. Right. Not good punishment, some some really bad punishment. And every team had that guy. Right. Like the Knicks, y'all had Anthony Barner. Right. The guy came in would run through a brick wall just, just to run. And <laughs> that's was one of that NBA Finals was one of the for seven games, you know, I never seen two teams go at each other. Cause you had the number one defensive team in the, with the Knicks and the number two defensive team with the Rockets. And you had two of the best centers with Patrick. And the king, we had Otis Thorpe. Y'all had Charles Oakley. Otis was you know, a tough guy, y'all too. Had, you know, y'all had uh, the Knicks had Anthony Mason, who's one of my all-time favorite teammates. <laughs> you know, rest in peace, brother. And we had uh, Carl Herrera. Right. You know, y'all had Barna. We had Robert Oy. Right. Y'all had Starks. We had Maxwell. Right. You no, know, so it was a <laughs> battle. I remember it was at 9, the game came on back then, 9 o'clock Eastern time. I remember leaving the garden after the game, like, like one o'clock, one thirty in the morning, cause guys just exhausted after the game, you know, just with ice on their knees, ice on their back. That's how physical that series was, man. It wasn't, it wasn't the cupcake. Guys was banging bodies. Um, it, it was tough. We won that game seven in Houston. It was, it was like, I'm glad it's over because I can't take no more dealing with these guys, man. Cause they was a real physical team. They had, and Doc Rivers was a physical guard, and he was hurt. 
Right. He was hurt. So, you know, the Greg Anthony, you know, Dark Harper was the king right, of the hand right. check. So it was, like I tell, I just tell some of these guys, it's, it was difficult, you know, who I think is one of the all-time greatest Dallas Mavericks in history. Mm. I don't know why his jersey is not retired in Dallas because he was a beast. You just made me feel really good about that, that acknowledgement of that team because, you know, that team, man, there's, I could talk to you for hours, Sam. That, that, that was team a meant physical, dominating team, man. Like when they had a dominating and impactful coach and Pat Riley, who just like, like, like it was a dog fight. They trapped every pick and roll, no matter you know, it, it, it was like, you played against Knicks back then, you're like, oh, I played against these damn guys today. Like, damn. Let's get this over. Let's get over. That's how physical these guys was. I love. You're making me fucking crazy, Sam. You know, I just, love this it's, shit it's, so it's much. The, it's the truth. Like, like it was. It was. Anybody picks and expect that they say that. Well, you gotta get ready for a dog fight because they are ready to fight. Whew, man, you got my heart racing with that. Yo, what, one of the most. I wasn't even gonna ask you about this, but I just was thinking one of the most iconic things in Americana. And I just want your take on it as a player. There's two things I want to make sure I ask. I'm, I'm saying a mental note I want to ask you about because you brought up Oakley and you guys were at – you. the L.A. Clippers were mm-hmm. there when that happened. But I want to stay in, 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 the, in the Knicks-Houston series. When did you – you're on the court. You guys mm-hmm. are playing during the O.J. chase. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your remembrance of that? Because you guys have no idea what's going on. When were you aware that was going down? You're, you're, to re- remind people, it was the 93, Three. 93 like, finals. finals. Houston and the Knicks mm-hmm. and the famous OJ White Bronco chase mm-hmm. is happening. The Knicks and the Houston Rockets and Sam Cassell are playing a championship basketball game. What is your memory of just that part of it and finding out about it? And then and in hindsight being like, what the fuck is going on here? Well, it was a um, timeout and they had the little at the table, score table, that little monitor, TV day and Kenny Smith. I was in the game. I'm walking towards the bench and Kenny Smith said, man, they chasing OJ. I said, fuck are you talking about chasing OJ? He's like, no, they chasing OJ. The whole LAPD is chasing OJ. And he just got it from the monitor. He just got it from the monitor. And at the time, I still didn't understand what he was talking about. Like, I'm, I'm worrying about trying to keep Duck Harper off my butt. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to keep Duck Harper Harp off me, you know? And I sat down, and he was like, no, nah, they are really chasing OJ Simpson. All the police in LA are chasing OJ. And I was like, Still didn't realize what he was talking like. Okay, whatever. They chase no OJ. Get somebody to chase Dark Harper off me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I need. I need somebody to chase. No, it was game four in the NBA Finals. Um, we won game. We won game three, so we up two to one. And and after the game, and that was the big thing, you know. And you guys found out about it afterwards, and you're you're you're. So folk- I didn't want to hurt because we lost. So we right. lost. Like so, we get now. We got game four. It's tied up. Uh, two to two games to two in New York. So I was like, man, I don't want to hear that. I ain't got no time for OJ right now. I'm trying to win an NBA championship. And um, got home to got home at the hotel and it was, it was on everywhere. And the sports center wasn't like it was today, where it came on over and over and over again. It came on at like at nine o'clock, and then it came on at, at nine thirty, then it came on at like ten o'clock. You right. know. It was off at 11. It was off. That was it. It was it. You know what I'm saying? It ain't 24 hours a day, you know. Reruns, no, it wasn't like that. But, um, you know, I guess guess that goes down in my championship moment, you know. They chased OJ. Crazy. 
How, I, you're you're from 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 uh, you know Maryland D.C. area, and I know you know obviously he was a competitor of yours. I, I obviously was was happy about it. Patrick Ewing finally. Yeah. It, it seemed like yeah. Patrick Ewing wanted to coach for so long. He's gonna do I a mean, great job, man. He's gonna do a great job because a lot of people think that he's not gonna do a great why, job. Why did they think that? Because he wasn't a great communicator as a man, player. Some great ones wasn't. You know what I'm saying? You know, he was, he led by example. You know, so he understand. He'd been in this coaching. Attorney for a long, long time, you know. There's no egos more than NBA player egos. So you know, I heard people say, well, how you going to go into a guard house, a, a small guy house, and get him to come and play for him? Easy, because I think if a guard wants to be in the NBA, who better to hear from than a guy who's been in the NBA for almost 35, 40 years? Mm. You know, so... It's gonna be an easy adjustment for him, you know. He understands coaching, you know. He's been through the ups and downs. He's been the villain every way he played that. When he played in college basketball, the old the Georgetown teams back in the day, where you know I'm a big Georgetown fan. You know, to this day I, I get mad at Big John, who's my man. He didn't recruit me because he said he didn't want the whole East Baltimore down down in D.C. at his, on his campus. You know, but he's gonna bring that. Patrick Jones gonna bring everything that. These great college coaches are going to bring. He's going. He's, he's going to do it. You know, if I can help him do anything, talk to a kid to, to come to Georgetown on behalf of him, man. Mm. I'm willing to do it because I know he's going to do well. That's dope. He's going to do well, man. He's going to do well. And like That's I said, dope. I think every former player in the NBA that had a running that knows Pat, if Pat will call them for a kid that they know, they will make that call for that's Pat. Dope. You know, because that's how. Great guy he was, you know what I'm saying? Never got an opportunity to play with him, you know, played against him in the summer league, played with him in the summertime, you know, ramped down a court on the same team at Georgetown. But um, he's a great guy, man. He's going to do tremendous things, Georgetown. He can bring Georgetown basketball back to the getting tough ball players, you know, the Perry McDonald's and the Reggie Williams and David Wingate's. That Jerome Williams, you know, he's going to bring the Allen Robinson kind of guy. He's going to go get that kind of guy. That's Michael saying, Graham? Yeah, he's going to go get that kind of guy. He's going to get that. You know, I'm telling you, he's going to do well, man. He knows what he needs. He knows the kind of guys that he needs. I think John Thompson III, I think who's a great coach, you know what I'm saying? But he just had a different view of players that he wanted for his system, you know? You know, but I think Pat can go back to the big John system, like, I'm going to get the tough guy. That Hoyer paranoia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no doubt about it. Was it was beautiful. God, you ain't have a fight, you can't play for me. You ain't right. never had a fist fight ugly in the streets. Dudes. You know what I'm saying? He Georgetown was a bunch of ugly, mean, he, he, tough. Mean, mean guys who can hoop, that can hoop, man. That, you know, Georgetown, people got to understand, you know, me being from Baltimore, Georgetown is a major, major brand. You know, Georgetown, that, that, that means something. You know what I'm saying? You know? I wanted to attend Georgetown, mm. but Big John said, "No, nah, you you can't go." Cause I grew up kind of, you know, you know, fucked up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But being from East Baltimore, I seen a lot of things. Grew up with a lot of around a lot of people who doing different things that I was doing. Right. You know what I'm saying? But hey, I'm not here to knock them. But it's something that I wanted to try something different. Growing up in Baltimore, you know, I can always come back to Baltimore. I just want to do something different, give myself an opportunity to be successful in life. That's dope, Sam. That's all. Um, you guys, I talked to Doc about this. I talked to Austin about this. Oakley, I mean, for me as a Knicks fan, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that thing, when I think about it sometimes, like, like 
I, I don't want to over-dramatize it. But that shit, like, almost had me crying. Like, the results of the Oakley situation, obviously he was in the wrong at some point, and the garden was in the wrong, and the whole thing was everybody fucked up. But you what don't do the force. You don't do the force of your team. Like, like nah. Oakley's like, man, people love Charles Oakley. Oakley is, a, he's from Cleveland, but he's a New Yorker. We, we mean, sense? beloved. He, if you didn't know Charles Oakley was from Cleveland, you would think he's from New York. How he played the game. Tough, rugged, enforcer. You know, down for the crown. Everything that deals with toughness. You know, Doc Rivers always have a saying, and I don't want to get it wrong. He say, don't act tough, be tough. Understand that? Mm. Don't act tough, be tough. And that was Oakley. He never had to act tough. He is, he is tough. And I played against him for a lot of years. And I'm a, he's a good friend of mine. You know what I'm saying? Good friend of mine. Because as a rookie, he hit me a couple of times, and I jumped up at him. He was like, Boy, I like you. You got heart. But don't ever do that again. <laughs> that was Oak. That was Oak. So to this day, when I see Oak, I acknowledge him. When he see me, he acknowledges me. And if I come to Cleveland and he's in Cleveland, I don't call him. It's a problem with Charles Oakley. When, when you saw that going down, like, what was your what, – what did you see first? How did you realize it was Oakley? Like, were you like, is, is, is this a dream? Like, what's happening here? I didn't really see it till afterwards. And they said – we played them that night. Right. And they drug them out. And I was like, who is that? And somebody said, Oakley. I said, well, I know it's – I couldn't see if they were on the farther end. So I said, I know it's like 20 of them grabbing them because one and two ain't going to grab them out there. You know, you can't hear kind of guy. Like, it's two guys I know you can't stop. Jason Williams, my old teammate from New Jersey Nets, and Charles Oakley. Too strong. Strong individuals. So you ain't ready to stop them by just grabbing them with their arms. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to take 10 to 12 people to grab these guys. Was Jason strong like that? Oh, he's an ox. Jason Jason might be one of the strongest guys I ever played with. Like, Jason can take 145 and take it from the floor and lift it over his head. Right. One One hand. Right. One hand. Not challenge any former or current NBA player to do that. And I guarantee they can't do it. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. What was your first oh shit moment when you were playing in the NBA? Like, who was the player that you grew up looking at, admiring, and then when you're 22 years old, you're a rookie, and you're like, you're D'ing them up. Now, now I've had this with Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas. What was that like? Wow. It's awesome. It's awesome. This year, then Zeke was kind of, you know, he hurt his hamstring, and he was kind of, he had this big old bandage on his leg, and I was like, wow. I'm on the court with Isaiah Thomas. But it was awesome, man. It was just awesome. Me just out there competing against him. And uh and he was on one leg. He was on one leg. I got I got, I can't lie, he was on one leg because I think he just I think he tore his hamstring. He was just coming back from a hamstring injury. I think that was the injury that said after that one, he was like, I'm done. He retired. I think he retired during the season. I'm done. Cause it's, it's, no, I can't do it no more. But um it was an honor that one game I played against him that I always wanted to be Isaiah Thomas, you know, you know Isaiah Thomas from Indiana when he beat North Carolina in um, NCAA championship, you know, 
And he was the guy that I always like, oh, man, like Ross Strickland. Like, that's like. That Talk about the, him. Like, he's, he, awesome. he's a guy we always forget. He's the, he's the one, to me, he's the probably the most underrated ball player in the NBA. He's in, uh, he, it's, it's a shame that he never can make an all-star team. Like, yeah. Ross Strickland and Dark Harper. These two guys, not all-stars. Like, wow. Like, if they're not all-star, like, uh, who are all-stars? Like, and their whole career. So when I made the all-star team, finally, I get all the props to them two guys, mm. Rod and Dirk Harper. Because mm. I was one of the guys that considered, you know, underrated as a ball player. And once them guys, once I made the all-star team, I gave them a lot of credit. Like, this, I'm representing Rod Strickland and Dirk Harper for me. You know That's what I'm saying? Dope. You know, I experienced it, and I hope them two guys, and I'm representing them two guys for this weekend. That's, that's dope. Uh, Jerry West said last week that he doesn't, uh, you know, he's ready to give up his his being the logo of the NBA. Let's just say, if he gives it up, who do you say should be the logo? Who who is the best player in the NBA? If he gives it up, history, who he, should be the logo? If, if he gives it up, I don't think Michael Jordan should be on the logo because anybody knows that Michael. Jordan, I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think the Skyhook should be on the logo. If Jerry West want to get that up, I think Kareem. Because I don't think to this day no one is going to catch that. That's going. What do you got? Thirty-eight thousand points. I don't think it's, you know no one going to catch that. Steve Nash, you played with him as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Did you ever imagine? Do you ever see this kid when you when you saw him as a rookie? Mm-hmm. Were you like, oh yeah, this is going to be a potential back to back? Was he back to back MVP? Yeah. I mean, great career. Whether or not he should have been the MVP both times, I don't care about that. Can't argue with his career. When you first saw Steve Nash, did you imagine that he was going to be as good as he turned out to be? Nah. I knew he was going to be good because he, he had heart. Steve had a – as a rookie, he had a lot of heart. He just wouldn't shoot the ball. He used to – I used to get mad at him so much. He'd tell you this day, I used to get mad at him. Like, listen, shoot the basketball because he could shoot. He could shoot. Right. I said, you got to play this game like you played in college. I said, once you figure that out, you're going to be fine. I said, you got to play this game the same way. You can't be somebody that you're not. Mm. And the first year, he used to overpass all the time. He had shots because he wasn't, you know, he thought he was doing the right thing. But once he learned how to do the right thing by shooting the ball, and he became solid and fantasy, you know, he got with Dan Tony and became in that system, you know, high pick and roll, spread the court, and he's just making passes. And um, it didn't surprise me. These kids, I asked you earlier, I'm going to go back to it. These kids, Lonzo Ball, his father, you know, I've talked outwardly about it. He sort of put an X on. In my opinion, my problem with, with, with uh, LeVar Ball is, first of all, you're talking crazy. You could beat this one. You could beat that one, you know. But, but my, my biggest problem with this, he's put his X on his son's back that mm-hmm. he's not going to have to. He basically cashing checks on his son's going to have to, you know. Deliver. When he's saying he's going to be better than Steph Curry, when he's saying he's going to do this and do that, what is the biggest surprise that for, for any rookie, but let alone a point guard that's coming into this NBA, when you got John Wall, you got Dame Dollar, you got uh, Kyrie, you got, I mean, Kyrie, I mean, he's nasty. You, every team's got a nasty point guard. You got this gonna, gentleman over here, CP3. It's going to be an adjustment for him. He's, this is not college basketball where you find out of 10 games, two really good point guards. You know, every night you're going to go against a point guard that was All-American in college too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like Ty Loss is not in the top 10 point guards 
professional point guards. But you go back eight years ago, Ty Lawson was a beast mm. in college. Mm-hmm. Was a beast in college. Was a beast in college. He's another DMV guy, you know? Right. You know, so he was a beast. So now you're coming to the best possible league in basketball. And the point guard position in our league right now is stronger than ever. We forgot to mention James oh, it's, and it's, Russell. Every team. Oh, it's, 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 it's ridiculous in especially in this Western Conference. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, you have to kind of play basketball in this Western Conference, man, because as a guard, it's a task every night, you know. And just let's, let's wait and see, you know, to say that you're going to be better than this guy and that guy. You know, there's been some guys that rated high in college basketball and get to this, this league and just, just don't work out. Well, what is the difference? When, when, when these guys are rated, you see, you've seen it, you've played with dudes, you've had guys on your team, whether it's head case, whether it's ability, mm-hmm. whether it's work ethic. What, what, what is the difference between a, a, a guy, I'm throwing out a name, kicked ass in college, Adam Morrison. I mean, the, every year there's first-round draft picks. You're like, wait a minute, what the fuck happened to that dude? Like, you know, I hate to throw Adam under the bus, but what is the big difference for any, go, any guy in any, you know, um, Position that that just didn't make the cut I in the you, NBA. In my opinion is is the whole thing is it's that fine point where how you played in college. Can you play that same way in college into the pro system? When you say same way, you mean can you get that it same, off that same mentality? Yeah, is it a same, mentality? It's the mentality. I think it's the, the be successful in this league is is seventy percent, is sixty to seventy percent mental. Look, just, just to have that confidence, to have that freedom, to have confidence. that relaxedness. I got to take this shot. If I miss it, I ain't mad. So I'm going to get this next. I'm going to get that shot four or five more times. I think a lot of guys who fail, great college players who failed in the pros, they, they, they lose confidence. Mm. Hey, confidence can go like mm. that. You don't gain confidence like that. Mm. Gain the confidence is a period of time. Got you. But you lose it like that. When you're when you're as an assistant, can you tell when you're like a guy is giving you like you said John Wall, no. and can you tell when like this guy's in trouble? He's not listening. He thinks he knows his shit. Like, are you able to read that right away I'll now put, as an assistant? I'll tell you, for my first two years coaching John Wall, he used to call me like I to correct him with things on the court, and he's the and he's a he's a great young man. He's always say yes, sir. Yes, sir. And me being fresh, <laughs> me being fresh out of the league, I was like, man, don't call me that. Like, like coach, just don't call me yes, sir. You make me feel old. And that was, that was just John. That was just, that was, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he knew when I was really mad at him, he stayed away from me. That's the kind of report I had with John. You know, even my report with Austin Rivers. Uh. You know, we got Austin Rivers. You know, Austin knows when I'm pissed off, and he knows when. You know, he knows I'm gonna tell him the truth all the time. Uh-huh. It's no, it's no in, in between. You know, it's I said I don't care how many points you score. You know, I don't, you know it's other things. You know, and now like, you know, you can't tell me right now Austin Rivers can't play on every team in this league. But two years ago, you wouldn't have said that. Mm. You know, I'm not saying it was because of me. It's just it's his work. <coughs> I just had I just opened his mind up to certain certain things. Right. You know, I had opened his mind. Listen. You can be the best defensive guard on our ball club. Then your offense gonna come. Yes, you can be the best defensive guard on our team. 
And we got Chris Paul, who's a great defender. Right. I said, he's going to be better than Chris Paul defensively. Mm. He could guard six, 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 seven guys. You know? You know, so when he got his big contract, you know, he'll tell you, I was more happy than, than him. Like, man, you, like, 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 you there now. That's dope. So don't be content with this. Let's, let's, let's go get another big contract. And you're 24. Let's get another one. You know, rise the thing to the wheels fall off. I played 16 years in this in this league. And I said, it's Friday. And I, that, that's the fulfillment thing for me, that these guys get these contracts. I know where they came from. Like the, the three guys I work with in my whole coaching career that's doing well in this league right now is John Wall, Bradley Bill, and Austin Rivers. Mm. You know, them are my projects. Uh. You know? Them three was my projects. And you ever get an opportunity to tell you, ask them. They'll tell you, oh, shit, Sammy. Like, I, was, I was on John Wall and Bradley Bill every day. Uh. I'm on Austin Rivers every day. Uh. They see me come, they like, oh, here he come. Here he come. Here he come. You know, so I understand, you know, what it takes to be successful in this league. Yo, Sam, I, I'm going to let you go. I, I appreciate this so much. I would love to do it again. Anytime, man. I, I wish Anytime. and hope the Clippers luck. I'm glad that, that, that we're under the radar yeah. and to, to, to shock and surprise and make noise in these playoffs. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. I think our guys have the right mindset right now. Um, we got to do it. We got to play. And it's going to be challenging, but I think this team is ready for the challenge. Sam Cassell. Sam, I am the great Sam Cassell. This is like part one. There's like <laughs> I have 400 other questions I could have asked you, but we, this is good, so I appreciate it, Sam. And I just want to just tell the people, Sam Cassell is a, an above-average ping-pong player, talks a lot of that's, shit. That's he right. beat me in a three-tournament, a three, a three a best-out-of-three tournament, and he did beat me, but he will – he will. please admit now, you were sweating like you were in Game 7 of the Finals. No were doubt you not? about it, I, but, I, but I won. You won. I won. You won. But I, I, no, no, I'm here we, a lot. We, I get we, no rematch. We, we both were sweating. Don't say I'm no, the only one sweating. You, we both were sweating. You came on to Jack. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. All right. <laughs>